Hello and welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piskor. And I'm Tom Scholey. Going to look at uh, comics-adjacent artist Raymond Pettibone a little bit today. But before we get into his story and his art, Ed, how about a Red Room update? A big influence in the comic book game. Uh, Red Room, the anti-social network. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game. And this trade paperback is in comic shops now. It had a very... Very huge signing uh, yesterday, and uh, retailers are already hitting me up, man. Their stock sold out, and everybody, all the direct market comic shops, you're fighting over the last couple thousand of these books, man. So stack them heavy. Uh, we're going to keep that trajectory rolling into December with Red Room Trigger Warnings, issue number one, variant covers by Jim Rugg, Peach Momoko, and myself. And... Uh, as a consumer, you can hit up my link tree in the description below. You can order these comics. You can pre-order these comics. Go to Amazon if you need to. Uh, the the Red Room train is a rolling, Jimmy. And uh, all those links are in my link tree in the description below this video. And some really awesome backup material in here. You know, pencils, character designs, and uh, a complete draft. Like a first draft it's a, it's in a, uh, comics form. So. It's a whole issue of comics that's not in available anywhere else. Very nice. Tom, what about you? Um, I have Fantastic Four Grand Design, uh, the story of the Fantastic Four from start to finish in one, uh, you know, handy volume, uh, you know, just like a big love letter to, to Jack Kirby and, and his, you know, one of his most famous creations. And then here's another love letter to Jack Kirby. It's Jack Kirby, the epic life of the king of comics. I Really into this guy. Yeah, he's, he's kind of a, a, an interest of mine, yeah, an <laughs> obsession maybe. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I did the story of his life, uh, you know, in... in Again, in one volume, drawn in pencil, just like the way he works, you kind of get to live uh, uh, Jack Kirby's life, get to get to be in his his shoes for a while, and then uh, you know may, maybe that's the last Jack Kirby related thing I'll ever do, <laughs> or maybe I'll do a hundred more. Yeah, I can't believe this will be the last one. Jimmy. Good stuff for the upcoming holidays. Uh, this is BW Zine. It's a collection of uh, samples from black and white '80s self-published books, which I got really into about ten years ago. And this is kind of a collage love letter to those uh, outsider art comics. Figure it's appropriate for Raymond Pettibone. Um, this is out of print, but it is available on patreon.com slash jimrug, along with about 10 other zines and uh, mini comics of mine that you can download whenever you join my Patreon. You can also see a lot of my original art, uh, process stuff, scripts, notes on how I make the comics I make. All of that you can find at patreon.com slash jimrug. Jim, you look a lot like Christian Man character <laughs> when you were flipping through there. <laughs> I have so many Christian comics. <laughs> That's its own subdivision in my uh, in my collection. Uh, and speaking of Christian comics, Raymond Pettibone has his own set of Christian comics and Bible comics. But I just keep looking at this disturbing dick. <laughs> yes, yeah, it looks like it's playing the guitar with, <laughs> yeah. with his instrument, right? Um, Raymond Pettibone. We we know him from Black Flag, probably as the first first place uh, a lot of us may have encountered his work and with that in mind you know i figured we just kind of do an overview of this guy look at some of his work talk about how we know his work or how he came on our radar um the first book of his that i've picked up and it's not just him but fucked up and photocopied these are all punk flyer zines uh from around the states and of course he gets a big chunk because of his connection to black flag and you can see i think all of these are uh, pettibone art on these uh black flag posters one of one of the kind of early pieces of kind of viral marketing kind of expanding on the idea of Kilroy was here like he designed the black flag man the the four exactly. freaking rectangles that were spray painted you know shepherd fairy banksy style all over 
L.A., all over Hollywood, uh, making people wonder, what is that? You know, what is that? Uh, I, I truly don't think that Black Flag would have any legs if it wasn't for the design acumen and the artistry of Ray Pettibone, who did not play an instrument. Like, he was not in the band. It was his brother who was in the band, Greg Ginn. Mm -hmm. And his name is Ray Ginn. In a world where right. Ronald Reagan is the fucking president, change your name to Pettibone. And before that, before that, the governor, like uh, what fucking you know, Bonzo, the where he grows up. Bonzo, the guy, <laughs> the guy who was in the fucking movies with the little monkey. Like you gotta change your name. Yeah, that if that, your name is Reagan. That feels like a stunt on the part of your parents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's tough. But you do see his artwork, and I mean, this is the artwork that we know him for. You know, and I, I think the way they would make these posters, that I think I read stories where. It'd just be his brother just take a, you know, take a stack of his drawings to make these posters with. That's the way it would work. You know, this is a compulsive graphomaniac, as you will see in these multi, you know, thousand page yes, books. You can see uh, well over a thousand pages we're, in these things. We're going to be looking at. And uh, the reason you didn't see Black Flag, I mean, uh, his artwork on Black Flag materials after a certain point was just because his brother, Greg, like, just didn't ask when using a piece one time. And that was like... That was enough that. to do it. Can't have that. Um, I bought this book probably around 2000 or so. At that point, like I was totally into indie comics and alternative comics and, you know, had gone through art school and stuff. And I and this was something I recognized as one, you could talk about him in, in an art class mm -hmm. and not be and, you yeah, know, your teachers out. wouldn't make fun of you. But yeah. clearly it looked like comics. And this is a collection. What he would do with a lot of his drawings is print up zines like starting in the late 70s. He would photocopy them into essentially what we call mini comic. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if this is actually the exact size, but like eight and a half by five and a half, you know, it'd be copy paper folded in half, stapled, and uh, you're good to go, you know, do an edition of a hundred. Um, sometimes more than that, they talk about those editions and they didn't always sell well. So about a hundred or so would be circulation numbers on most of these. And I mean, these things got to be worth thousands of dollars a piece. Well, I don't know whether that's true or not, because how easy would it be to bootleg? Like nothing would be easier to bootleg than, than his, uh, than his original comics and zines. Um, this com this reprints several of them incomplete. And so I'm starting here in the back just to show you, like, this is the contents of this book. And uh, you can see these are your covers. So a lot of these things reprinted in here, you know, 20 pages, uh, maybe 40 pages. They, they vary in size. But as you say, Ed, compulsive drawer, you yeah. know, graphomaniac, just stacks of these drawings. And then it'd be like, put them together in a book and, uh, and release them. Some of them were like ongoing series, like Tripping Corpse, Corpse. I think he did like 12 of those, like on a monthly, kind of a monthly basis, but all over the place. Some were thematically organized. I mentioned religion. Um, there are war ones, you know, especially getting into the 90s, like some stuff with Desert Storm, that kind of thing. Uh, very, I don't know if Americana is quite the right way to describe it, but very much American. Looking at film, looking at noir, um, all of these things just playing a role in kind of the drawings and where he's pulling text from and images. And again, Looks like comics to me. He, there will be Christian iconography and, and mentions of religion and stuff, so that could be a part of the Americana part as well. But it could also be as simple as just seeing chick tracts everywhere. Yeah, I saw some uh, some chick tract design elements in some of those posters that we were looking at. <laughs> yeah, see the priest yeah. there, <laughs> little Rosemary's Baby type gimmick. And the relationship between the images and text varies a lot. Sometimes it's just found text. Sometimes it seems like it's not even connected to the images. And I think that's an artist just, you know, going through uh, 
trying different things, restless. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention that, like, you know, he drew the the Nervous Breakdown EP album cover with the with the chicks in front of the um the police lineup, you know, yes. uh, backdrop mm-hmm. that Jaime Hernandez would then you know, modify and evolve uh, the cover for 11 Rockets issue number one. That's how I know who this guy is. That's how most of you know who this guy is from, from the jump. Uh, if you're into... You By know, the way, Jaime Hernandez flyers are in here as well. Dr. No, baby. Of course. Dr. No, those flyers are hard as hell. I mean, this is totally, like, this could be right out of a manga or something, right? Well, I mean, I, I don't know about at, that. At the very least, I'm seeing, like, a direct line from this to what Ben Mara does. I mean, this is, like, really close to his American Psycho adaptation. Pro- probably intentionally, not even, like, an yeah, unintentional. Yeah, that American Psycho, and uh, and we have a video of that on, on Cartoonist Kayfabe as well. Uh, I think of that one, too. That one feels like the most direct uh, Ben Mara link to this. Josh Bayer is another uh, cartoonist mm-hmm. who's closely linked to Pettibone who has done some comics uh, appearances and interviews and, you know, like they've had talks together and stuff like that. So certainly an influence. Yeah. yeah. If, if you like sort of came up in the 90s, like like when I first came to Pittsburgh, this kind of stuff is so Pittsburgh to me because like going into like a coffee shop and just seeing all those like, you know, kind of that style of flyer just like plastered everywhere. It would be like uncool if you had perfect craft in the drawings on your DIY punk. It would be almost like uh, antithetical to the movement where it's like DIY and and at first blush you would look at this and just be like oh man just like uh, you know your kid brother drew that or something you know like uh, you see these marks and you see you see the hand in, in there and it seems like in comic books like the artists do almost everything they can to take the hand out of the the line work yeah someone like a gary panter comes to mind you know like like that raw that raw crowd i feel like that's where i would see kind of similar mark making with some people you know even jerry moriarty and some of these there's there's some uh the la connection to me would be like slash magazine where where you would see 1970s like the earliest gary panter stuff that would be this kind of thing which i I would bet would be an influence Mm -hmm. to petty bone who comes years later I like his, whenever he's doing cursive lettering, you know, a lot of this stuff looks like comic book lettering, but not all of it. Some of it is that scripty font. Well, not font, but script, you know, handwriting. So I think you get a pretty good idea of what these look like, you know, in terms of zines. And like I said, everything from film to, uh, you know, contemporary, like, like news items and things, um, everything is, I think, potential fodder for his drawings and for this, I don't know if I'd call it id exactly, but what he's putting on the pages. This is a a more recent book that went along with one of his exhibitions, I think in Europe, and uh, it's kind of like an artist edition, but one of the nice pieces in this one is a comic book. His first, uh, you know, like his his early work, 1978, called Captive Chains, and it's completely reproduced, 68 pages, so a big chunk of real comics. Yeah, I thought it was newsprint. <laughs> yeah, they do a nice job in reproduction and, and you know, giving it that newsprint kind of uh, old black and white comic feeling. It's fantastic, man. Seeing them use some, some tones and stuff. Yeah, a lot of screen tone here. There are some drawings where he'll do that too. Uh, you, yeah, he must have gotten a hold of a bunch of that mechanical mechanical uh, screen tones. You know, 
pop art yeah. comes to mind, which again, like I was looking for anything I could call comics in an art class. It's right. it's so fascinating to see this stuff. Like, you know, when I see it in this context, I think that uh, I'm thinking of like Jack Katz or something. He had some First Kingdom mm -hmm. introductions or something. And it's so divorced from like what comics was at that time. There might be like weird underground comics that would flow like this but this doesn't have any kind of flow of like what you would associate with comic book storytelling he's literally just doing his own thing you know what it kind of connects to is action comics number one like Siegel and Schuster like it, it like that's kind of what I'm getting from it go on Tom <laughs> I, I, <laughs> well, I can imagine those people make that connect well, well first of all just like sort of story terms the, the first bunch of pages felt like an extended version of like the sequence of the guy in his like wife beater t-shirt trying to stab Superman and the blade breaking like almost like an extended riff on that and then just the sort of um, you know a, a little bit of craft but a lot of you know, ineptness or what, you know, whatever, like in a good, as a good thing, you know, like, like a Siegel and Schuster or, or where like Ed's talking about where the flow isn't what we know of as comics flow, where like it's going to the right and then all of a sudden it's going to the left and all of a sudden it's going up to a corner where you're just drawing for your life. I start to feel uh, Spain Rodriguez in here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say like almost all of his career is, is encapsulated in this first comic. Like you're seeing sports stuff, you see like the crime noir kind of things. And a lot of those themes will be, you know, throughout the next several decades. That's pretty wild. Uh, images. Love. <laughs> so, starting off strong, this book, as far as I'm concerned. You know what's what's fascinating to think about uh, this in terms what we just looked at in terms of uh, the like 1986 black and white mm -hmm. explosion comics that have there are cartoonists who have an energy that's very similar to that, and they those cartoonists they probably have a million long boxes of comics like you and I. And they recognize that their work is not mm -hmm. John Buscema. And they don't recognize that they're just doing something new and different. Like, I get that vibe from a lot of those un, uh, black and white comics that I look at. Like, if this person just kept going, mm -hmm. they would have a nice, beautiful, full career. They have a point, their own point of view. And they could just keep going in a direction. But they're chasing George Perez. Right. And Ray Pettibone is, like, doubling down on his own vision. And that's the beauty. Yeah, you, you really kind of see it. Like, it feels like this first comic just has all that stuff. All yeah. the eccentricities of American, you know, pop culture and... and yeah, even, that's, there's that chick track kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. The, the religious overtones are throughout this thing. You know, Law and Order, a big part of it. And uh, interesting comic stuff. Yeah. You know, like like mixing all that stuff in. Yeah, you, Look at this, man, for like the hand and the rendering. I love how the gun is kind of a made-up gun, but... It all feels uh, feels pretty good, and then the outlaw black blood. Oh yeah. Uh, get into this is broken up into kind of like thematic chapters. So you're seeing you know the black flag flyers and stuff that we had discussed a big part of his uh, of his history, of course. Like, imagine seeing that on uh, <laughs> on telephone poles, and and you and you're, you're taking your kid to their music lessons. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Manson. I wonder if they have that album cover that you mentioned, Ed. I don't know if it's in here or not. Oh, the Nervous Breakdown. It should be, man. It's so iconic. We're, oh, you're you're getting there. Yeah, right. That's that's the whole record cover section. I didn't see it in there. It's surprising that they wouldn't include that. That feels like that's kind of a it's an iconic important to one. us. Yeah, I iconic guess so. To us. <clears throat> so, unlike the uh, the previous book, you know, this isn't reproducing the zines. It's reproducing the drawings. Yeah. And in four color and giving some information about them. 
I had looked up, uh, you know, like, like doing a little bit of research for him, sold one of his drawings in like 2012 for Haiti relief through Christie's for $820,000 to again, sort of contextualize drawings and, you know, where these things land. And, uh, I don't know, man. That's a wild. That's that's quite a range from like your photocopied black and white zines to an eight hundred and twenty thousand dollar drawing. And and listen, it is hard to exist in fine arts as as a drawer, as a predominant drawer. Like I remember at Carnegie Mellon University, they literally had like a special event at their fine arts space that revolved around drawing. <laughs> and when the lady was on the mic to like introduced the event she all but said every other form of art sculpture painting everything is more important than drawing in her introduction <laughs> uh that is where fine arts is in relation to to this yeah. i have so many people i i have people super close to me who are predominant drawers mm -hmm. going to you know went through school for fine arts and just being dismissed in hurtful ways, harmful ways. Oh yeah, for a long time, that's how like um, the art institutions just didn't, yeah. didn't view drawings that way. Um, I don't know that it's changed much, but there are definitely like drawing centers and stuff that have come up in the art world in the last several decades to, I don't know, champion drawings a little bit more. But you know, historically, they've they've certainly been the second second banana in terms of value and, and prestige and all that. Here you get to see some of his more abstract stuff. You know, it's just these phases, Ed. Now, it's this stuff you'd get a good grade for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, the other stuff, the drawing was too good. <laughs> I love seeing him playing with, like, colored inks and stuff. Because, again, something you don't get in the black and white zine reproductions. Letter forms. It just feels like a guy who's drawing all the time. Yeah. So you rifle through everything as subject matter, from abstractions to, you know, letters. This is a kind of a neat book, again, if you're looking at him as a drawer. This is a chance to see those drawings about as close as you can get without actually seeing them. They even have, you know, the dimensions are listed, which is nice. Something that artist editions and monographs for comic book artists could learn from. I'm always curious whenever and I, you don't get that info. If anybody wondered what a glory hole looked like, it was <laughs> an illustration of one. A lot of these like 11 by 17, which, you know, another parallel with comic book art. Some bigger, some smaller, but... You know, not that different. Like, whenever he's doing those zines, I think a lot of those are reduced drawings. When I see that piece, man, there's that dude, Frank Stack, a.k.a. Fulbert Sturgeon. Uh, worked a lot with Harvey Picard. Did Our Cancer Year. Um, has that kind of mark making. Easter Island is a uh, subject matter. Oh, he was selling to Glenn Bray there. <laughs> <laughs> Bray must have some of this stuff, right? I wonder. I don't know. It feels like that would fit did, in. Did we see any in the in Blighted I Island? don't remember seeing any. But, you know, the, the flip side would be I could see cartoonists being snooty about this. Like, he's not one of us. Is Pettibone still alive? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. totally. So, so, so he's lived to sort of benefit from it. Because usually guys who do work like this, don't like it's like other people benefit from it. This is where you can insert your Wesley Willis lyrics. <laughs> By the way, uh, his first solo exhibition, 1986... So whenever 1980, my, my 1986 uh, zine, which is about 1,200 pages at this point, he'll get a mention in there. Caught off the hills of Eddie Murphy reinvigorating the Gumby franchise. <laughs> I was going to call out Art Adams, but yeah, <laughs> yours is probably a little more high profile. <laughs> a whole section on Gumby. So, you know, appropriating pop culture and commercial art and all of these elements. 
Uh, this is similar to the drawing that sold for $820,000. That drawing's not in here, but it's it's very much of this sort. It's a, it's a large wave. There's uh, some color on it, um, similar to that. A couple of surfboards are visible. So, I saw Batman. There you go, there we right? go. Dear reader. <laughs> and you can see, I think, if you're a curious cartoonist, you can see why this would appeal. Like, it's the yeah. same ingredients that I'm, that I'm trying to put into my comic books, and it's just a slight different application of them, but the same kind of deal where, like, I was looking at this stuff and trying to figure out, like, how does this work? Is there, are there stories being told through this stuff? They're not that narrative for the most part. Um, but again, similar ingredients. So just seeing like how he's constructing these images and managing text and image together. I'm sure a lot of cartoonists have found Pettibone for that reason. Well, I mean, I'd say, like prior to, uh, to like Scott McCloud, I'd say like one of the dominant definitions of comics would be when you put words and a picture together. That's, you know, that's what a comic is. It doesn't have to be like a reading experience or like a multi-page kind of thing. And getting into some of the acrylic there. Uh, in these later pieces, pen ink and collage, pen ink and, and acrylic, gouache. So playing with materials too. I mean, that's that's almost a Sunday page. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I mean, it is, yeah, yeah. It's really close if you were just going to describe visually what you're seeing, I mean. When you start to see this. It almost feels like panels. And uh, Maybe you know, David Mack could be into this one. I was thinking David Cho. Oh yeah. Well yeah, I, I mean, Jim, if you did a comic and it was like this. Would people say like, oh, Jim's not doing comics anymore? They'd, no, of course that's a comic, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, David shows somebody I thought of too, Ed, because I was trying to think of like, who are the artists that are, um, you know, that, that, that would be this way, that are like sort of comics adjacent and David David Show comes to mind. Um, Gary Panther, who I think we all claim more as a cartoonist, but you know, like you could look at his work and probably find some parallels because he's definitely doing things that maybe we don't call comics that would be more in line with something like this. This is some of his uh, Iraq War since 2003. So political commentary and uh, probably moving further away from just the pure ink on paper. But So Raymond Pettibone, I feel like uh, certainly somebody that most, I don't know, cartoonists of our age and, and curious cartoonists and comic fans probably are aware of him. Uh, it's hard to not be interested in comics and art and not come come across his work. Yeah, man. I mean, we had this channel for three years, and this is the first real uh, glimpse that we've uh, that we've uh, created to go into his work, man. Long time coming. And I have a few other of these, like you know, artists who have done something. I have that in long boxes. You know, <laughs> they've they've done a comic or they've had some of their work reproduced in that kind of format. So. Uh, you know, if there's a good response to this video, maybe we'll try to pull out a few more of these guys, Ron Englishes, people like that. Sounds good who to have, me. Uh, you know, their work has definitely crossed over into the realm of comics to some extent. Good to go. Okay, favors like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell, we'll notify you when new vids are available. What's out there, Jim? Join me on Patreon.com slash Jim Rugg, where you can download out-of-print scenes and mini-comics. You can see how I make comics like Street Angel, Deadly Scroll Alive, Plain Janes, Octobriana, and more at Patreon.com slash Jim Rugg. Uh, check out my uh, uh, Fantastic Four Grand Design and uh, Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics. And I have a YouTube channel, Total Recall Show, uh, where we just reviewed uh, the Eternals movie. Red Room, the Antisocial Network uh, book collection in stores right now. We are soliciting the next round of Red Room Comics, Red Room Trigger Warnings. Go to your local comic shop, get it put on your pull list. Thank you so much for making Red Room the hit that it is. It's already more popular than my Hip Hop Family Treat comics, and it ain't even a year old yet, man. So thank you so much for that. 
uh, serializing the next round of Red Room Comics on my Patreon. All those links in my link tree in the description below this video. What else do we have, Jim? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. Give them those marching orders and we'll be on our way. Make more comics.